Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Monday, April 15th. I'm Sophie Casas. So if you haven't already heard, this show has been nominated for a Webby Award. So please, please go vote at tinyurl.com slash vgtrnwebby and vote for the Vice Guide to right now. That's tinyurl.com slash vgtrnwebby. So for today's show, we're talking about Silicon Valley's obsession with body hacking and how this rhetoric can be really damaging. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently did a podcast interview where he revealed that for the past two years, he's been practicing an extreme eating regimen, consuming only dinner and recently experimenting with no food on weekends. CNBC then packaged this information into a story touting Dorsey's quote-unquote wellness habits. But online commentators such as journalists and tech workers on Twitter are worried that Dorsey may actually be promoting disordered eating or an eating disorder. In response, Motherboard reporter Sarah Emerson decided to take a closer look at the messaging around food and wellness that's coming out of Silicon Valley, where it's important to note that efficiency is notoriously prized at any cost. So today, I sat down with Sarah to learn more. Welcome on the podcast, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's your first time on. I'm excited to chat. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited too. A little nervous, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good. You wrote a really interesting article about Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and some of his uh, experimental, if not harmful, eating habits and kind of what they can tell us about Silicon Valley culture and how the media talks about wellness and fitness and food. So what did you first think when you saw the CNBC article about Dorsey's wellness habits? And on that list were some very extreme eating regimens like fasting all weekend long or only eating one meal a day. What did you think when you read that? Yeah, so Jack Dorsey has been pretty outspoken about his sort of obscure lifestyle habits over the past couple of years, especially, and that includes fasting and intermittent fasting. Um, I wasn't really surprised because he's mentioned fasting before in some previous interviews and has actually tweeted about it a little bit. And, you know, I was curious the other day and I went back and did a Twitter search for just the keyword eating for, from his tweets. And you can see pretty clearly how he's evolved in talking about food and dieting over time. So, you know, one of his tweets from 2006 was just excitedly like eating. Um, and that made me kind of sad to see. And then around 2015, he started sharing articles about clean eating, why you should only drink hot water and lemon, 
definitely intermittent fasting. But yeah, I mean, what I was feeling personally, you know, to be completely honest, like I myself have had an eating disorder. So and I was pretty immediately worried by his comments on the Ben Greenfield podcast, because they went into so much detail, you know, he talked about the duration of his fasts, how they like physically and emotionally affect him, how he's progressed into now weekend long fasts. And, you know, how eating is, according to him, um, you know, beneficial for his focus and productivity. And I think that comments like that can be pretty compromising for people who are genetically primed to develop eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm concerned about anyone who was exposed to Dorsey's interview and, you know, left feeling bad about themselves or or in a worst case scenario, you know, inspired to jump into similar disordered eating rituals with sort of no supervision or yeah, just these kind of false expectations for how it's going to, you know, better their lives and make them a better version of themselves, which, you know, definitely isn't true for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And I mean, someone like Jack Dorsey, who is so successful, you know, on one gauge of what success looks like. He's extremely wealthy now and he has a lot of power and he has a lot of clout. And I think that someone like that speaking about those kinds of eating habits could have a pretty big influence on people who look to him and say, you know, I too want to be super productive at work and be really a really successful business person. And it kind of plays into this larger culture in Silicon Valley, which you talk about in your piece, where that whole startup culture has kind of long treated food as like the enemy to productivity. We see things like Soylent, which is like you just drink your meal and you don't have to actually sit down and eat. It saves you time and energy. And it's, you know, it's not just these products like Soylent. It's also pushing out these ideas like what Jack Dorsey was talking about of intermittent fasting and kind of just like nutritional body hacking in general. And so can you talk a little bit about Silicon Valley more generally and, and how you see this all playing out there? I think people like Dorsey in general, you know, people who are in positions of power should really think about the consequences of their words. You know, there's such an unchecked deification of tech founders and CEOs in Silicon Valley, you know, from Elon Musk to Elizabeth Holmes before she was exposed as a fraud. And people can interpret everything they say as gospel. So, you know, people with obsessive or perfectionistic tendencies can be really harmed by these body hacking trends. For example, a lot of people even stuck with Soylent after it was making them sick and giving them like digestion problems because it didn't agree with their body. Um, you know, just because it was touted as the future of food, uh, the perfect solution for eating efficiently. So yeah, it's definitely dangerous for for these types of figures to go on the air like Dorsey did and promote something that should really be supervised by a medical professional and certainly isn't for everyone because our bodies are different. One person might feel this laser-like focus from not eating for two days, but the same practice could easily mess with someone's blood sugar levels or you know, send them down the path of an eating disorder. Um, and one thing that I mentioned in my story is that, you know, I think it's interesting to consider whether the DNA of Silicon Valley itself is sort of predispositioned for disordered relationships with food. Like it's a 
it's a place where we should value efficiency at any cost, even at the risk of employee health. And it's been written before about, you know, how these there are these corporate wellness programs that operate under the guise of promoting a healthy lifestyle, but they're actually just kind of looking to optimize employee productivity, almost as if, you know, your ability to kind of hone and control your own body is a direct reflection of the quality of your work. So yeah, you know, I think that is really pervasive in Silicon Valley and you know, it's a place that's definitely overdue for for a culture and mental health shift for sure. Yeah, I mean, also Silicon Valley is largely male and largely white, as we know. And I'm curious, you talk a little bit about in your piece this underpinning of like hyper masculinity that is being paired with these approaches to, you know, quote unquote wellness or fitness, um, the physical form and how it relates to productivity. Uh, can you talk a little bit about gender and how that plays into this all? Yeah, so I think there is definitely a double standard going on here. So, you know, if a woman founder had gone on this podcast and talked about her fasting rituals, you know, people might be quicker to say that this person has an eating disorder. And, you know, I did see a few journalists say that, you know, hey, this sounds like at the very least disordered eating or an unhealthy relationship with food. But there is a stereotype that eating disorders are a woman's problem. But actually, you know, one in three people with an eating disorder is male. Um, And I think it's important to remember that. But Silicon Valley is a very sexist place. You know, you want to think about like, maybe someone like Elizabeth Holmes, who is definitely like a, a flawed person, but, you know, she stuck to, she wore the same thing every single day, sort of emulating Steve Jobs. And people seem to make a much bigger deal about it, you know, when she did that than when Steve Jobs did it. And it was kind of seen as an expression maybe of like vanity or an obsession with appearance. But, you know, when a male tech founder does it, it's seen as, you know, just being efficient or not having to think about what to wear every single day. So, yeah, I mean, there is something really gendered going on here. And yeah, I mean, we should all really take a step back and, you know, even think about our gut reactions to dieting fads in Silicon Valley and who is sort of promoting them because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot going on here. And in your piece, you right, and I'm quoting here, as entire industries congeal around eating trends, it's important to consider how we talk about them. Um, I'm curious, as you were writing this piece, what were some of the kind of editorial or ethical choices that you grappled with or thought about in terms of how to talk about eating disorders and wellness trends and what choices you made in terms of talking about these issues responsibly? So I know from my own experience that reading about an eating disorder in detail can sort of be like a handbook or motivation for someone who's vulnerable vulnerable to that kind of thing. And, you know, when CNBC quoted Dorsey's comments from the podcast, they were later criticized by some people on Twitter for not challenging the claims that he was making about extreme dieting practices. 
And I didn't want to encourage anyone, so I tried to let the opinions of the experts who I interviewed speak for themselves. And I definitely wanted to hedge the alleged benefits of a practice like fasting with the fact that, you know, it's currently pretty understudied and it affects people differently because of our different biologies. And, you know, it isn't actually a long-term hack as Dorsey seems to make it out to be. I know he said that he's been doing this for a period of at least one or two years, but a lot of people probably wouldn't even be able to stick with it for a week or two. And I spoke to Dr. Joel Yeager, who is a psychology professor at the University of Colorado, who said that fasting can essentially be like hijacking your body's temporary response to starvation, wherein subtle system shifts happen that actually make us feel hyper-focused or really driven for various physiological reasons, but that isn't something that's sustainable. And I think that it's really important to remember that it's not wise to do this without a doctor's supervision, without regular checkups. And I think just including as many caveats as possible is pretty essential whenever anyone talks about these sort of experimental dieting or nutritional trends, because people really do need to be careful. Yeah, I mean, they're experimental, but they're also really extreme. A lot of the things that he does that fall under the CNBC's wellness list, they're they're extreme. So, yeah, I think that what you're saying really makes a lot of sense. And another thing about kind of writing about these topics is it's really like not the job of the media to to diagnose physical or mental health issues. But you did speak to experts who explained why it can be so hard sometimes to distinguish between what might be under the guise of a wellness eating trend and disordered eating and then, you know, an actual eating disorder. So I'm curious what you learned when talking to them about kind of how to distinguish between these different categories. Yeah. So one of the really interesting things that I heard was from Dr. Stephanie Zeros, who is an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And She told me that today more and more people are checking into eating disorder treatment centers because they're simply confused about whether or not their particular relationship with food is healthy or unhealthy. So that was an important thing to note, that we're bombarded with so much dubious information about how we should be eating correctly, on social media especially that we start to question our body's own needs, which might be telling us that, hey, this doesn't feel right, or this isn't enough, or this is making me feel ill. And I was also told that, you know, it is really hard to see where that line between trying out a dietary fad and disordered eating and an eating disorder, where that line is. But, you know, sometimes there can be cues like, you know, a friend might be coming, might be becoming a recluse around food. So that means maybe never eating with friends anymore because that might compromise their dietary rituals or cutting people or things out of their life because they prevent that person from eating in a certain way. So this type of overwhelming thinking about food and calories was sort of described to me as like, 
a radio station playing in the background of your brain all day long. And that's what it might feel like to some of these people. So there are these behavioral cues and also physical ones that strongly indicate malnutrition. But, you know, because our society is so eager to normalize abnormal dietary practices, you know, instead of there being a line between disordered eating and an eating disorder, a lot of the times it's just this gradual progression that can be really difficult to spot. Yeah, I think one of the things you talked about that was really interesting is, you know, most people have heard of anorexia, um, but something that has been cropping up more and more alongside these kind of the clean eating industry really um, is something called orthorexia. So will you explain orthorexia and kind of what, what you think it can tell us about the times that we're in right now? Sure. So there are different degrees and types of disordered eating and eating disorders. And there's something called orthorexia, which it isn't officially recognized in the diagnostic and statistical manual yet, but it's basically an unhealthy preoccupation with healthy eating. So that could be when the pressure around clean eating warps into something that causes extreme anxiety. You know, if someone feels like they're not consuming what they subjectively feel is pure and healthy food. And Dorsey didn't put too much of an emphasis on clean eating during his interview, but I think that orthorexia is a pretty insidious consequence of how we talk about food now in public. You know, how celebrities and people in positions of power talk about food. And there was even a study in 2017 that suggested that the healthy eating community on Instagram presented with strong symptoms of orthorexia. And that Instagram use is actually linked to increased orthorexia symptoms. So, you know, as social media is having this sort of reckoning right now for being way more influential than we ever knew it could be. So like influencing elections or inciting genocide or targeted harassment campaigns. Like it's totally reasonable to think that, yeah, maybe social media is enabling new eating disorders too. But um, I wanted to talk to mention orthorexia because it's an example of a disorder that can be veiled by good intentions. So the intentions to be healthier or eat more sustainable or eat locally. And so when someone like Dorsey touts the benefits of fasting, like better focus and deeper sleep, we should really consider one, whether that's true, of course, and two, what is the cost of those benefits? Is the cost an unhealthy relationship with food? Is it malnutrition, mental illness? Because we know from orthorexia diagnosis and treatment that there is a slippery slope when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it's dangerous to go on a huge platform like a podcast and say, hey, I don't eat for days at a time, which is essentially starving yourself. Um, and it's been great for me. I don't know who's listening or what your circumstances or predispositions are, but here's all of the information for potentially putting yourself at risk for an eating disorder. And I think that's really dangerous. Something that I think about with Jack Dorsey, too, I mean, he's the CEO of Twitter, and, like, there is so much more here than just unhealthy relationships to food. There's a lot of unhealthy things coming out of Silicon Valley and kind of even just the specific company that he is the CEO of. I mean, when you think about Twitter, it's like I think about people being addicted to their phones and like toxic online subcultures. And I mean, I also think about corporate greed and all of these different elements that are a part of this bigger picture of what Jack Dorsey 
represents, I guess. And I'm curious if you thought at all about that when writing like this, you sort of zoomed in on unhealthy relationships to food and, and eating here, but it's kind of a part of a much larger culture in which there are a lot of other unhealthy habits being promoted, I would say. Yeah. So I really tried to think about who Jack Dorsey is as a figure. And I'm not entirely sure, to be totally honest. I mean, he, he seems kind of untethered, like he's become so detached from reality that he's trying to ground himself in the most extreme ways possible, you know, whether it's these like intense Spartan meditation retreats or prolonged fasting or other types of discipline rituals that, you know, might even be interpreted as creating faux hardships for him, you know, someone who has benefited from the tech founder myth of having started with nothing and achieved everything, but, you know, a person who has since become incredibly powerful and now has great wealth and who maybe wants to preserve that narrative. But I mean, maybe he's trying to be exceptional or regain some sort of control too, Mm -hmm. since, you know, he is the head of this powerful platform with tremendous reach and influence, but he's faced a lot of scrutiny. And I think that's something to maybe be sensitive to because sometimes these things can be a coping mechanism. Right. But definitely he I think he's a Silicon Valley technology industry stereotype. Um and a good reminder of how Silicon Valley elevates these types, you know, who are mostly white men as mythical figures whose eccentricities make them special and extraordinary. Like they've figured out new ways to hack the world around them or even like their own biology because they're supposedly smarter and better than us. And so we should do those things too. And it's very cultish in some ways. And, you know, of course, capitalism has enabled the commodification of that type of deification. So now we have apps that help you fast like Dorsey or Soylent that helps you efficiently eat like someone with as little free time as Elon Musk or clothing companies that sell these minimalist wardrobes like Mark Zuckerberg's gray t-shirt. And, you know, it's not a very healthy place, but it certainly sells the promise and sort of Kool-Aid of being healthy. Yeah. I'm curious if you are kind of venturing into any other reporting in this space, either about Silicon Valley or like, I don't know, the the physical effects of late stage capitalism or um, did this piece open up any other doors for you in terms of things you want to explore? Yeah, I mean, it definitely got me thinking about a lot of different things. And, you know, a lot of people, other people right now are, are doing really great coverage of like the physical, mental and societal effects of social media now, too. But, you know, one thing that I really came away with from this piece is, you know, sort of noticing that the public is becoming more and more suspicious of the intentions behind technology and tech founders. And I think that's great. You know, technology Mm -hmm. isn't just gadgets anymore. It's something that's increasingly integrated with human biology and it's shaping our habits and influencing our choices, you know, in some cases, even rewiring our brains and, I think certain groups of people and even whole generations are really vulnerable to that. And I guess maybe when it comes to eating disorders and technology in Silicon Valley, I'm mostly just inspired by the fact that people are really talking about food and technology and influence now, you know, with less judgment and more compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good and positive and nice thing. And I hope it continues. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. No, thank you. 
make sure to read the full story at tonic.vice.com. And again, please vote for our Webby Award at tinyurl.com slash vgtrnwebby. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure to tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.